I, <laughs> I didn't know what in the world I was going to preach this morning to the point that I was almost going to, about Friday, midday Friday, I was almost going to just not preach anything um, because God hadn't given me anything and I refused to just write a sermon for the sake of it. Um, so this could have been just the old stand up and worship until we felt to go home, until God impressed something in my heart that I, I want to um, touch on this morning. And it's quite a big verse, but I have been in a, in a place over the last couple of weeks, almost of righteous anger, where I've been saying to God, like, the church has to rise up at some point. We have to become who God's asked us to be. We have to stop going around the same mountain and, and operate as to who he wants us to be. And a lot of my preaching has been around that, um, about equipping and empowering and saying, put your boots on, let's go. You know, let's tie, tie our boots up and let's do what we're actually supposed to be doing. And then as I was praying during the week, and, and as I said on Friday, God impressed this verse, which is a conversation I've been having with Paul Tothill over and over again. So a lot of this has come out of my conversation with him, but he led me to Isaiah. In, in our conversations, he, we've been talking about Isaiah 61 and God on Friday said, preach from Isaiah 61 and, and, and reveal what it is that I'm, I'm doing in your midst. So if you've got a Bible, go to Isaiah 61 for me. But I want to, I want to actually take time this morning to, to maybe break some of the, the misconceptions and some of the things that we feel we're supposed to have but I also want to meet head on with some of the pain and suffering that has and is still in the church. That I don't think for most of you, I don't think it's, it's hidden that all of us have massive struggles. All of us have pain and, and hurt. All of us have triumphs and, and times that are good as well. And I think what God is doing in our midst is he's revealing who we are and who we need to be as we move forward. That song we sung this morning, God, who you are, and then I'll remember who I am. The only way we really know who we are is when we, when we fully grasp who he is. So let me just pray before I, I, I read this. Father, God, I just come this morning, Lord. And Lord, I ask you to silence the voices that aren't of you. God, I ask right now, Lord, that you would quieten the voices that have been whispering in people's ears. They're not good enough. That they're not this enough or they're not that enough. Lord, we just break that in your name, Jesus. That what you did on the cross was you gave us the authority and the ability to sit in you, to have your blood run through our veins. So right now, Lord, I just ask that you remind us what that means. That you recall to our memory what it means to be hidden in you. That you recall to our memory who we are in you, who you've made us to be, Jesus. Lord, let us see you more this morning. Let us know you more this morning. Let your glory fall here. Not so that we can have a tingly feeling or we can be wow or amazed by something that happens, but that we would actually know the heart of the Father even deeper this morning. God, we ask for your glory because we want to know you more. We want to see you more. I just ask, Lord, that your words remain here, that they be planted in our heart and they begin to grow. That anything I say this morning that's not of you, may it fall away, God. But the things you want to establish, may they be established deep into our heart. 
We love you, Jesus. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. That's Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. If you just wait there, Sean's excited. I'm glad when someone, glad that Sean's excited. The rest of you are still pondering. But the verse that Isaiah is speaking, what he's saying here is that I've come to prepare the hearts of the people. I have come as the word of the Lord to reveal something that's coming. He's speaking about Jesus, that there will be a time where you will be hidden in him and that the brokenhearted will be mended. Those who mourn will be mended. Those who are hurt and pain in court, in suffering and strife will be mended. They will have a place to hold unto themselves and be who he's asked them to be. Isaiah is prophesying here that there is something coming, a time, a day of the Lord, where there will be fullness. But he's speaking to a people who we don't really uh, take to consideration. He's speaking to the broken ones. He's speaking to the lost. He's speaking to the ones who don't have it all together. And he's saying, prepare your heart because there's something coming. There's something coming for those of you who have been operating in lostness, for those of you who have been operating in brokenness. There's a place that you'll find to be all who you're supposed to be. The verse reveals that there, there is, is a lot happening in this place. There is a, a lot of pain and suffering. There is a lot of wickedness and brokenness. But to hold on because something's coming. And I find this so interesting because when you look at who Jesus chose as his disciples, at the people he handpicked, he didn't handpick A-graders. He didn't take the best team members. He didn't take the clean, clean people. He didn't take those who knew the Torah, those who were well-established in the faith. He chose the brokenhearted. He chose the lost. He chose the confused ones, the struggling ones. That was his A-team. We know this by so many, so many stories that we see the disciples where they again and again, they do the wrong thing. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They weren't cleansed. They weren't these proper people. But my favorite one is in John 6. You don't have to go there, but in John 6, 65 to 68, Jesus is teaching the crowd about eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says this in John 6, 65. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go as well, to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They didn't understand the sermon. The disciples didn't pick up what Jesus was saying. They didn't realize, oh no, we get it. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. We're on board. We'll come with you. They didn't understand either. They would have been confused, lost, and really unsure what in the world is he saying here. 
I love that when you see a lot of the parables that Jesus speaks and then it sort of the parable finishes and it moves on, you go, I wonder if the disciples actually picked up what he was saying. I wonder if they really understood sometimes when Jesus brings a challenging word or they just went, we don't get it. But where else do we go? See, the disciples weren't these amazing people that we put them into this book where they, they never did anything wrong, they never sinned, they were these upstanding, righteous people. Don't forget that at the very last moment when Jesus was on the cross, he says to Peter, you will forget me. They weren't the upstanding citizens that we kind of put them in to be. They were normal ordinary humans, but there was something that Jesus saw in their heart. There was a willingness and an openness to know who he was in every situation of their life. What Jesus saw in the disciples was the heart. What Jesus saw was these men, these these people that I will walk with will believe and know who I am at every turn, regardless of what it looks like. Sometimes in our life, we get to a place where we go, God, I don't understand. Lord, I don't know what you're doing here. And Jesus is saying, well, do you want to leave? And our response has to always be, Lord, where do I go? There's nothing else for me. There's nowhere else to go. I've had the privilege of being able to to walk with some guys who have been in the worst of the worst, the darkest places you can go. And in some cases, they are the most incredible people to speak about when talking about faith. Because they go, I've been there. I've been all the way to riches. I've been to everything I could ever want. I've had everything in front of me. And I realized something. There's nothing there. And when you speak to them, they go, I don't understand it. But I know who Jesus is. And they get to the place just like the disciples did. Where else do we go? There's nowhere else to go. You are the only one who has the words of life. A friend of mine, Paul Tothill, I'm sure he's stolen it from somebody else, but he has a saying. I actually think he did. He did tell me he stole it from somebody else. So he quotes them, I'll quote him, and then we're all good. But he has this saying that the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. The matter of the heart is the heart of the matter that everything we do comes back to the thing that beats in our chest. That when we operate in this world, what God is looking for is this thing that beats in our chest. He's looking for your heart to reveal what your true, um, uh, where your true faith lies. If I give Sean a present, I can do it with a pure heart, but I can also give Sean a, 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 a gift, say I buy him a, a new car. I can do that with a pure heart, but I can also do that with a deceitful heart. And God sees the thing that's in our heart. So what happens is we judge ourselves so harshly because we did something wrong. But God says, I see your heart, my son, my daughter. And if your heart is really in, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to go forward anymore, but I know there's nowhere else to go but you. See, when we get to the place of we're all in with you, Jesus, we don't understand how to do it any better, but I'm all in with you, then God will mend and and cure our broken heart. God will lead us continually back into him. The reason I think, the reason Jesus chose those 12 men was because they had nothing to lose. 
They had nothing else to give but all of themselves. They weren't perfect in skills. They weren't the most eloquent speakers. I mean, you look at Moses. God chooses Moses. He wasn't the most eloquent man to achieve the task. Yet God says, I see the goal that's in his heart. God has chosen every single one of you for a particular task that myself or Jess can't achieve. I can't do what God has called you to do because he's called you. We can help. We can guide, we can lead. I can show you through the scriptures about what he reveals me. I can point you in the right direction. But at the end of the day, it's you holding the plowshare, not me, not Jess. Your wife, your husband are not the ones who have been called to do the task you've been asked to do. But God is not asking you to be perfect. He's not asking you to achieve some level of righteousness. And then he'll say, all right, my boy, you can start. That's not what he's doing. He's looking and saying, is your heart rendered right now? And I'll lead you right where you are. In your brokenness, I will bring you into greatness. See, God sees us in our mess. He sees us in our position. And he says, it's okay, I can work with it. I don't want you to stay there. I want you to come past it, come through it. But I'll work with you right where you're at. I know if I was to ask every one of you, 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 you wouldn't, answer like this, but something in our subconscious is, is that we act like this, is that we would say, God won't deal with me yet until I've cleaned up my mess. Now, if I was to ask you, God would say, no, he never leaves us, nor he forsakes us. He's always with us. But then when we go home, we start thinking through our mess. We kind of feel like we're doing it out on our own. But God is saying, in your mess, I see your heart and I will work with you if you will work with me. We have to stop disqualifying ourselves because of the mess that we brought. Because in Isaiah, God is saying, it's every one of us that has been called for the time of the Lord. It's every one of us who will come into the promises that Isaiah gives. It says the broken hearted will be mended. But we disqualify ourselves. We say, we're not good enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. But God is saying, no, in the rendered heart, with your heart rendered to me, opened, pure, God, take it. I love when the disciples, it's, it's on the first episode of the second season of The Chosen, if you've watched that. But there's this incredible scene with the disciples where um, it's the, the sons of, of thunder, which are John and um, James. And they're walking with Jesus and these these men come across the path and they say, he's not the son of Nazareth. Who's this guy, right? And they, they dishonor him. And I love the two boys. They turn to Jesus and they say, Jesus, let's, let's rain fire down on these men. Let's burn them up. We can do that. We know who we are. And there's this beautiful tender moment where Jesus, he says, oh, my boys, you've missed the point. You've missed what I've come here to do. But he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't slam them. He doesn't push them away. He says, your heart is in the right place, but your actions aren't. So let me, let me bring the two together and let me show you what my kingdom looks like. God is calling you and he's pulling you in to operate in him regardless of what your life looks like. He wants your heart and he sees you and he's called a promise for you. If we continue on in the verse, 
Listen to what it says from uh, Isaiah 61, verse 4. They shall build up, who's they? Us, those who are brokenhearted, the lost, the hurt, not the perfect ones, the ones with their hearts rendered. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastation. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flock. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. The priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Jesus was the everlasting covenant. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them. And they are that they are an offspring of the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. And as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Can you imagine, can you imagine being a trained Pharisee when Isaiah is giving this promise? You've spent your entire life in the Torah. You have learned it. You have known it. You have acted according to it. You haven't stepped a foot out of place. And then Isaiah comes forth and he brings a promise that says, see the broken ones? See those ones who don't follow the law? See those ones who don't know Yahweh? I'm going to make them priests. I'm going to make them the ones who carry his name. I'm going to make them just like you. I'm going to put in their bones what I've put in yours. I'm going to allow the blood to flow through them that flows through you. I'm going to give them the brokenhearted, the lost, the bound, the undesirables. I'm going to give them a future in me. I know it's hard to get excited when someone's speaking, but that makes me like over the top with excitement. But what tends to happen is we start reading and we start listening to things and we go, I've stuffed up too many times to be a priest. I've stuffed up too many times to this, that or the other. I've, I've, I've done too much in my life. It's led me away. And God's saying, no, because your heart never shifted from its purity toward me. You got lost in the wilderness. You got lost, but you never ceased becoming the one that I've called from the very beginning. See, it doesn't matter how many times the disciples stuffed up. It doesn't matter how many times they entered into the wrong place. God says your heart of purity will lead you to me again and again and again and again. It doesn't matter. Come to me. Let go of the mess. See, God's not giving us a list of rules to follow the rights and wrongs because He's some evil God who needs to be pleased in that. 
He gives us these things, the, the, the do's and the don'ts that don't operate in that place. Why? Because he says, it's hurting you, my people. You can't step in to the promises I've given you when you keep stepping in the wrong place. I've given you the kingdom to operate in, the kingdom of light to operate in, and you've positioned yourself again and again in the, in the place of darkness. But render your heart pure to me. Render your heart pure, and this promise will be given again and again and again. Isaiah was calling the Gentiles into the Jewish promise. He was calling the lost ones into the place of promise. And Jesus fulfills it on the cross. The fact that God would ask to co-labor with us is nonsense. Sometimes I look at myself and I go, God, why, why would you co-labor with me? It's like when you're playing ping pong with partners and your partner's just letting the team down. I feel like I'm that guy all the time, just getting no points. And God's just over here and playing his part, just getting points. I'm like, Lord, let me just go sit down and watch from the sidelines. He says, no, I want to do this with you. I want to do this with you because I see your heart like no one else does. I see what you carry like no one else. We have to learn to let go of the way we see ourselves and start asking God, Lord, search my heart. Render my heart open. How do we do that? Like David. Like David, he said, Lord, search my heart. Find the things that aren't of you. Let me remove them. God, search my heart. Search my heart. Because I don't want to be found anywhere where my heart's not being rendered to you. Because I want to see the promise you have that was, was spoken about in Isaiah. I want to see the ancient cities built. I want to see them come from, from their former devastation into beautiful rebuilt cities. I want strangers to tend my flocks. I want foreigners to be plowmen and vine dressers to run the land you've given me. I want to eat the wealth of nations. See, God says, I will give you the wealth of the nations, but first you have to operate as priests. Why? Because the priests can steward the wealth of the nations. He wants us to be in the place that he's given us so that we can steward the things he gives us. But he promises everything in this verse. And he says, you I have called you I have chosen. Go to 1 John for me if, you, if you've got your Bible. One John chapter two, verses eighteen to twenty-nine. We're going to go for. Children, it is the last hour. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore. We know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed. You, those who are left, have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have, have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it 
and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you above everything, about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has, has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. We all have knowledge. We have read myself in only a few years on, on the earth, have heard a multitude of sermons, have read verse after verse after verse, have been in prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting. There's a position that we come to where we've done the stuff. I've done it. I've led meetings, I've led churches, I've been in meetings, I've been in churches. I've seen it all. But John is saying here in this place, that if you have all that knowledge, but it does not abide in you, then it's worth nothing. So we can have all the sermons, we can have sat in all the ministry times in the world, but if it does not abide in our heart and flow through us and out from us, then it's a waste of time. God is saying to us right now, it's all there, but will you actually access it? Will you lay down the shame that the enemy keeps speaking into you? And will you remember who he is? That song we sung this morning, God, who you are allows me to see who I am. We have to set our eyes on him because then we can actually address who we are and in our heart who we are. Does that make sense? See, we can't lose the, the, the uh, direction or the picture we see on Christ because the moment we do, we start missing who we are. If we shift our gaze from Him, who we are becomes distorted and we start entering into things God doesn't want us to be in. But when our eyes stay affixed on Him and our heart is rendered, then He leads us into more and more of Him. But we cannot... We cannot get to a place where it all just becomes about, I've had it before, I've seen it before. Because God is saying we are in the end days. John wrote this, what, two, 2,000, some 2,000 years ago? And he's saying we are in the last moments right now, which means, guess what? We are in even more of the last moments right now. More so, are these last moments. Now, we don't know the times or the seasons because for God, a thousand years is a day and a day a thousand years. So it's two days in the timing of God for where we are now. It may be two more. It may be none more. We may only have a few years left. We may have thousands of years left. Regardless, it doesn't change the position of our heart. Regardless, the times we are in right now, 
what is taking place in Israel is unprecedented. What is taking place in our world, in our marriages, in our homes, in our cities is unprecedented. We're in a time right now of absolute destruction. Absolute destruction. And Isaiah is saying, God has chosen you and me to rebuild the city. God has chosen you and me to stand in a place and put back together the brokenness of this world. He's chosen us, broken people, people who get tired, people who get frustrated, people who can't hold their tongue, people who can't be friendly or nice, people who struggle. That's who he's chosen to co-labor with, you and me. But if we close our heart off and we don't render it to him to say, Lord, let me see who you want me to be, then we can't rebuild the cities. We can't put back together the things that he's asked us to put back together. We can't take the wealth of the nations. We can't have the people coming in to us, the church. Because we look like everybody else. See, the reason we're supposed to stand out is so that those who don't look like us can see us and come in. But when we look like everybody else, where do they go? It looks like everybody else. This morning... Above all else, I want us to actually. Do you guys want to come back up? We might go back into some worship just for a moment. Well, as long as you want to be, really, as long as Sean and Coco can. And Aiden, sorry. I want to go back into into worship because I want this to just sink over us for a moment. I have one more verse I want to read, but I, I, want, I want this to, to echo. If you get nothing this from this morning except for this, then take this. You are not lost in God. God will and wants to still use you. Regardless of where you are, what you've done, where you've been. The promise in Isaiah was written for the people of God. Not for the perfect, but he doesn't want you to stay in your mess. He wants you to come out of it so that you can be more effective in him. He wants you to come out of your mess, but he's with you in that mess. The final verse is this, and then we're going to go back into worship, is Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh or to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. I want to be as bold to say that there's some of us who have been living in death, who have been living according to the flesh, 
who have been acting as orphans when God has called us to be sons and daughters. There are some of us who are lost and feel as though I've been put outside the house, feel as though I cannot be a son because I'm not who I'm supposed to be and I haven't been who I'm supposed to be. But God is saying through this verse in Isaiah, I am calling you in your brokenness, in your pain, in your suffering, in your loss, I am calling you to come with me and rebuild the cities. God is looking at you and saying, I need you to help me rebuild. I need you, your gifts, your talents, your heart. Stop disqualifying yourself because I need you. I really feel this morning like God is saying, stop removing yourself because the city can't be rebuilt without you. You are my son and you never ceased being my son. You are my daughter. You never ceased being my daughter. When the prodigal came home, he never ceased being a son. The father met him on the road. He never ceased being a son. He gave him back what was always his. So why don't you stand? I'm going to be at the front and I, I want to pray with you if, if you want to feel so bold to step out. But if you don't know that you're a son, firstly, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't know that He is your Lord and Savior, that He died for you, that He called you, then I want you to come to the front. Also, if you feel like I'm not a son anymore, I've not been a son for a long time, I've been an orphan in the Father's house, I want you to be bold to come forward. Step out of that place. Accept today, I am not leaving this place feeling like an orphan anymore. That that promise that was given by Isaiah, I stand in that promise. I want to render my heart. So if that's you, why don't you come forward right now? I know it's going to be hard. It's a big step. But the reality is, is that I want to give myself right now to not leave this place an orphan. It's got nothing to do with, with Sunday morning. It's got nothing to do with the low music. It's got everything to do with the fact that we are family. And I don't want to see you leave here an orphan. So Lord, we come before you right now, Jesus. God, as we go back into this, into worship of you, as we go back in to cry, Abba, Father, Lord, I ask that you reveal your heart. Let us see you like we've never seen you before. God, let us understand the beat of your heart like we've never understood it before. Lord, let us bring our mess to you so that we can come out of the mess. Lord, let us lay down the things in our life that are leading us away from you and let us rend our hearts. 
show our hearts bare to you so that you may lead us and guide us back into you. Jesus, we love you so much. We honor your glorious name. You are the Holy One, the Mighty One. Have your way in us, Lord. Have your way in us, Jesus.